Soft Power Radio on KWNK 97.7 LPFM. Today, we are in conversation about life during coronavirus with four people living around the world. A Pole living in London, an upstate New Yorker living in Berlin, a Southern Californian living in a rural village in Japan, and a Renoway living in Mexico City. The pandemic, as a global event, will certainly come to define the age we are living in. It's an enormous, confounding topic, and one we will struggle with for years to come. How are we even to approach discussing it, particularly at this point, still lost and grasping for a way out? Our conversations today are meant as a small but earnest contribution to a developing understanding of this strange and scary time. My name is Eric. I have lived, I'm originally from Los Angeles, uh, grew up in Los Angeles. Um, I've lived in Japan for nine years or so. I moved to this small village in the mountains of Nara about, I guess, four years ago or so. Uh, Our village is called Kawakami Mura. And uh, yeah, it's in Southern Nara Prefecture. Uh, I was hired through a national program to revitalize these uh, kind of depopulated regions. Uh, So I do translation and interpreting, and then I also write uh, for like a magazine uh, about life in this village. And I also do like kind of a local newsletter. Uh, And then, yeah, pretty much also like whatever else people ask me to do. I help out at the after school program. Uh, But also like, you know, as far as the local government's concerned, they want us young people uh, that have moved here to just kind of uh, to get along with everybody really well, uh, to be a part of the community uh, whenever there's a community event to to be you know, be a part of it. And Japan has kind of an aging population issue and its rural areas just have a population issue period. Uh, and my village is pretty high up there. Uh, I think technically we're supposed to go extinct uh, faster than any other village, as they say. Uh, but when they say extinct, I think that just means kind of like merged with a neighboring town. And um, and that's something that's not really scientific, I don't think. But uh, our population is projected to go from 1,200 people to like 250 people in the next uh, like 19 years, I guess, or like 18 years or so, because uh, that was from like two years ago too. Our, I mean, our village, over half of the population is over the age of 65. So for us, for us young people who are working and you know, who, who are still uh, kind of working through you know, late March and early April before everything was on lockdown, uh, we were worried if, you know, if I get Corona, if I, I'm asymptomatic, but uh, if I bring it back, of course I don't want to get sick, <laughs> but like I would feel really shitty too. Like, uh, if I got a bunch of other people, older people here sick. Uh, my my next article in the magazine is about that cleaning the shrine and how uh, like even though like everything else kind of stopped during coronavirus, like every month we still clean that shrine. 
and kind of came together and like, you know, it's outside, but we wore masks. Uh, and then at the very end, we like kind of sit around and have juice and snacks and chatted up a little bit. And, uh, and at the end, you just, everybody's, they're all older and, uh, yeah, we just kind of talked about coronavirus and, and stuff. When's it going to end? And, uh, that kind of thing. So. Everybody I talked to, uh, is worried about being the first infected person in our village. Uh, just because like, of course we don't want to spread it to anybody. That's, and that's, that is fear. Number one is like, we don't want to infect anybody else. Um, but also there's the social aspect of like it's a small village and like once you're known for that uh oh eric eric was the one that brought <laughs> coronavirus to kawakami uh, i'm tony and i used to live in reno um but i moved to mexico city mexico about six, seven months ago now six six seven months ago and um kind of crazy timing to be moving during a pandemic but I didn't know that when I moved so I had like two months of regular quote-unquote life before it hit um, and I think the craziest part about it is that I moved to a giant city after living somewhere like Reno population wise um, Mexico City's one of the largest cities in the Americas I think the largest um, maybe definitely the top 10 in the world. Um, so it's kind of crazy uh, and it's kind of slowed down um, the kind of adjustment period I've had for, you know, making a new life here. Um, but I'm not doing a lot of socializing or exploring, at least not the kind of exploring that you would do when you move to a new big city. Um, but luckily I got my teach English, uh, online certification. So for work, I don't have to leave my home, which is really lucky, um, for me. Um, and not a lot of people in this city have that, have that opportunity. So for me, I'm kind of taking that route of really isolation, um, which is a funny thing to move to a giant city <laughs> and then isolate, but you got to do what you got to do. March 13th is my birthday. And so I remember it really well because I'm here and it was like, Oh, my first time having this birthday in Mexico with new friends or new people I'm meeting, like, you know, new year kind of for myself, like new city, and March 13th, I remember reading the news and hearing the news and talking to family and a couple friends about like how all of, all of this was like hitting the fan, so to speak, in the, in the U.S. And I was super bummed. And it was like one of the worst birthdays actually I ever had because no one here understood why I was like freaking out. And it was like the day that the president declared like a, a national emergency and um, and it was really confusing because it was like, what's what a pandemic, like that's for real. And wondering what was actually going down and what was happening. And then everyone's talking about like this, like loss of toilet paper. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? It was just this really like homesickness, 
hit really hard and then I felt like really confused and then all of a sudden there was like this wait a second if that's happening like you know in my hometown in my country that I'm from my home country like when's it gonna happen here and uh it was just like this really intense um feeling for me but then it was also super weird because no one around me who's from here like understood what I was feeling because they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, back at home, this, this, and this, and this are happening. I'm freaking out. I'm really worried about my friends and family. And they were all kind of like, well, you're here and nothing's happening here. And I was kind of like, yeah, but pandemics usually mean it's going to happen everywhere. It's just a matter of time. And, um, and I feel like we, we are um, kind of like, I can't say for sure, but we were at least a month behind whatever was happening in the U.S. Like, like the reality of like COVID is happening. It didn't didn't really hit. I think this city. I don't know about Mexico, Mexico City, until at least a month later. I I, I think I was starting to freak out, but early on, but just because I had a connection to where it was already happening, um, it, and it didn't hit the same way here at least as far as what I was reading in the news, like that it didn't happen in this explosive way. It was this trickle in um, kind of feeling like we didn't have this. And I don't know if that's cultural, which is also quite confusing. Like if it was like that, the way people live here is a little bit differently. Um, as far as like the way people kind of hoard resources might, I kind of feel like in the U S like this whole, I got to go to Walmart and stock up on water and toilet paper. Like that never happened here. You know, like the, the most thing that was that, that you couldn't find was maybe like hand sanitizer when we were in the thick of it, you know, but there was never this, like, I need to bulk up. I bulked up because I was following the news in the U S and listening to what my friends family were doing and so like I panicked in the way and you know bought a bunch of like medicine and things that I thought I'd need cleaning supplies mostly though I think it's because I'm at a deficit here as far as like language I'm still learning and um, trying to find out like what's reliable news here in this country if there's reliable news and the leader here is just as bad if not worse for other reasons than trump and so um and mexico city's itself is like a highly overpopulated uh lacking resources place and so um so yeah time frame wise like i think we've been in it a month or so less um but it it doesn't feel as uh intense as what i've read from the u.s but you know i haven't been back to the u.s since i left december 29th and i'm still here
That was Toolbox by Keith Evall, a song recorded in February 2020, just before the world shut down. You're listening to KWNK 97.7 LPFM, Reno, Nevada. Today on Soft Power Radio, we are talking about life during coronavirus with four people living in different parts of the shutdown world. Uh, yeah, my name is Esther Samuels Davis, and I live in Berlin, Germany. I'm working on a children's book for someone else right now, so I'm mostly like, you know, maybe the ideas within it are like kind of community and connection a little. I mean, there's a lot of ideas in the book, but like I was trying, I am trying to kind of build a world. So of course, within that, I'm trying to build a community. Um, but I would have to do that anyway. And I think I would have done a similar, I don't think it's like changed the way I'm doing it. Um, and another personal project I'm working on kind of more sprouted from the recent like loss in our life, my husband, my life, because we lost my mother-in-law. Um, and that was just, and is really, really hard. Um, but then kind of getting to be home here, I feel like uh, before this, I just felt like for years now, it's almost like every single night of the week, there's just something going on or like some meeting um, or like draw here or come do this event or, oh, just keep up all my different friendships kind of. Um, And it just felt like almost every night and I just almost never get to spend time uh, with my partner in a lot of ways. And so, and then I was at the studio all the time too. Um, and I was traveling a lot to go to Zine Fest. So this time I'm also like just being here, we've gotten to spend so much time together and it's so nice. Um, and then also just, I never really kind of cooked before, which is like everyone just turned into a chef. I feel like because of this virus. Um, and, but now it's like, I mean, especially not going to restaurants, um, we cooked a lot before too, but now it's like all the time and like getting more creative and trying new recipes. And we also like kind of started like working out every other day just at home. And it's helped my body a lot with, with drawing because drawing can be so painful just sitting all the time. And now a lot of the back pain and, and like leg pain that I've had, which was kind of scary, um, went away. Uh, so there are all these kind of little positives. Uh, um, but then there's kind of just like dealing with the big emotional weight of the loss that we're going through, but then also the the emotional weight of, you know, my mom being alone or being feeling this kind of like more separated from my family and friends in other parts of the world, even though we're the same separated, but it just feels bigger. And then it's interesting. Like, I feel like in some ways this whole thing has made me, just really want to disconnect from the global community of the internet. Um, I mean, not disconnect from like maybe getting updates on the news and being active in that, but it's like, it's just too, it's been too, felt like just too many voices and too much like, okay, we're going to have, um, okay, now this is on a zoom meeting and then like, Oh, let's have the zoom concert and let's do this. Like, you know, live broadcast this thing and like, and then you're just hearing and social media is just so full. Um, 
it's almost this like I've, I've felt it for a long time that I just want to like focus more on my surroundings and what's around me and even politically like what's happening around me um and like building more of like a kind of like a connecting more with like the community around um and then this push of all of us being at home and being on social media more and then all these like this flux of voices just pushes me to want to disconnect from it even it's kind of like this like last nail in the coffin of just being like ah just like and just like this is not this is like too much information constantly all the time but then at the same time because I've been so much more isolated than normal that I go outside and I mean I do go out like once a day now it's not like I'm shut in the way I was in the beginning but at the same time when I go outside I have this feeling like of being completely alienated from people as well like so it's like this feeling of like wanting to connect more with my surroundings but I'm like nervous a little bit and being on public transit feels like way crazier I just feel like the energy inside the trains is really intense and like aggressive kind of and I'm like I was it always like this but I was used to it and now that like I'm not used to taking the train every day I'm like kind of uh makes me a little anxious but just so many people kind of, you know, people getting on kind of drunk or maybe like you're worried about those, like someone getting on and just like kind of being confrontational, which does happen a lot here um, to an extent. Uh, but yeah, so it's kind of this strange conflict, like our friends need help moving. So we spent like we're in like a hallway passing boxes in a chain to one another for like two hours, you know, like. Because it's like, because I prioritize, like, I'm helping, I have to need help over and move, you know, like, but that's like, but then I won't like go out to eat and I won't like, you know, like, and then I'm worrying about being in the studio, but then I'm also like, you know, doing that or going to a protest with like 5,000 other people with masks on, but still, um, who knows what those masks are doing. Um, So like... I don't know, like, it's interesting what my brain is cautious about and has anxiety about and what, like, I don't even question. I was, like, it was, like, protest? Yeah, of course. And then I was, like, wait, what is that? Wait, why am I doing this? Like, this is, like, totally against all the rules I've set for myself. Um, And, like, the moving thing, it's, like, but I couldn't really say no to it, you know? And as it was happening, I was like, I'll just take a shower when I get home. Um, And like, try not to touch my face, you know. Uh, Hi, I'm Marta. I live in London, uh, UK. I'm in a digital communications team at the the Greater London Authority. So it's like the local government of London. Um, And so my team does like social media, email, that kind of stuff for, um, for, for, for various GLA channels, including the mayor of London's channels. And, and, and then obviously right now, you know, what is the public health messaging? But it could be, you know, it could, it's, it could be anything from like, you know, it's like last month was like Gypsy Roma and Traveler month. So then the mayor did like a piece of camera to say, you know, these communities are like, really important to the fabric of our city. We're a diverse city and these communities have often been like, you know, face discrimination. 
and like their history is often not like recognized and and it's important that we do recognize their contributions and know about their history and like um their their important communities that are part of our city like something like this and that will also go on on um on our channel so anything from for you know that kind of stuff but then also like we have every day we'll have stuff right now about like you know why it's important to wear face coverings and having like you know various pictures of people wearing face coverings and and saying to people again like saying well it's compulsory on public transport but you should also wear it in every space where you can't like keep a safe distance so that kind of thing well i guess this was you know part of the part of the issue is that like until the government tells you you must do this nobody's going to do it even if it's widely believed that like something is dangerous so I think this was the problem with, um, you know, the government just being like quite, you know, just stalling on on introducing these measures. And then even when introducing these measures, you know, phrasing them in a way that was like, you know, again, like just not being as decisive as they could have been and as precise as they could have been. And then, and then particularly in easing lockdown, it's just been like quite confusing like what are we allowed to do now what are we not allowed to do now they still you know masks are now mandatory on public transport but they're not mandatory in shops so it's like okay i mean it's the same principle like what you know why not just do that so i think they're being very um just weak on this um and then i think that's that also then it's is reflected in the in in how people do stuff like very first um thing was like stay safe stay home or something like this but then swiftly they changed this to something like stay alert and it's like well what do you mean stay alert like what is the virus going to like uh jump out from like the corner and attack like you know like you can't like stay alert <laughs> like it's not going to help like a lot of this, my frustration was with central government and not providing, you know, clear and, and accessible advice or, or not making decisions quickly enough or not making decisions that are clear enough in terms of like how to protect people. And there were some very high profile cases of like, you know, high up government members or, or advisors just openly breaking lockdown. There was one guy, I don't know if that made it to, to the US news, but it was a big case here where this guy just like, you know, totally ignored all of the rules. And then it came out in the press. And then the government, all the way up to the prime minister, were like, no, this is a good person. He, um, you know, he had to drive to this tourist attraction because he did his eyes check. Like, just just straight up lies like there's no other way of describing this and yet that was like the the pantomime of television this was like you know the government basically explaining this guy is allowed to do whatever he wants because he's in the government you guys still have to do everything else so you know i feel like stuff like this really erodes it that if it's and there were many cases like this where you know people did stupid like that and then it's like, it's very clear that like, okay, they can do that. And then they still don't lose their jobs and don't lose any, you know, of their, like, don't lose their positions as like, you know, representatives of, you know, all the people. Uh, but then, 
you know, but then like people have been held from, you know, like attending their family's funerals. Like they can't do that. But this guy can just like take his family in a car and drive to like whatever castle uh, because he feels like it. Kind of culturally, I think there's more emphasis here in not causing trouble for other people than, than there is in America. Uh, and, and I think that uh, yeah, everyone's understanding is, yeah, if, you, if you're not careful, then you can get infected and then you can infect others. And so, uh, and you're not every, of course, not everybody's like that. And there's plenty of trouble in Japan. Plenty of people cause trouble for other people. But generally speaking, I think in the, uh, there is more of that emphasis. Uh, I feel like there's also just like a lot more social pressure here to, to uh, do what you can or, or like not be seen as, as being um, insensitive or, or whatever. Um, to their credit, when you, watch, when you watch TV, when you see all the politicians on TV, they're wearing the masks and uh, that's, that's more than, you know, we can say for Trump. So uh, there's no conspiracy about masks here in Japan. It's not political. It's, you know, mask culture here. It's been, you know, been around for, you know, going back to like the Edo period, I think probably Uh, there's, I've seen like paintings or drawings of people that were wearing masks. Uh, and yeah, they've always worn masks here, uh, as kind of as a way to in, in, in the way that you know they're being asked to now. It's a way to protect other people from yourself, and uh, and, and also you know protect yourself a little bit, but more so to protect other people. And um, and like I knew a guy at like our local government who it seemed like he was always wearing a mask. <laughs> like uh just you know and i think it's i think it's it is because partially probably to protect himself but also yeah he uh protect other people too so the familiarity that everybody here has with masks uh i think that probably helped out a lot uh and then you know the you know they already they number one they already had probably more masks here than they would have had in America uh, just because they use them more regularly. They already, they already had more in stock. Uh, and then number two is people's kind of uh, comfort, you know, familiarity with using them. Uh, there's no debate <laughs> about them. I think what'll help Japan is that we're, we're more prepared for it this time. Uh, we've had, you know, we've, I feel like, you know, we didn't kind of, what is it? Uh, uh, flatten the curve a little bit, and then we had to shut down, and um, and then we opened back up. I think at the beginning of June was when uh, everywhere in Japan opened back up, and and it wasn't until like kind of the end of June that we saw more cases, and in that kind of time we've had we've had chances to to get more masks, get more. Uh, get more uh, alcohol to, to clean stuff and uh, disinfecting liquids. Uh, our local government has all those. They have one, you know, some in their offices and that kind of a thing. Um, so I'd like to think that 
masks and disinfecting equipment uh, are going to help kind of slow things down again. A lot of us don't really trust the numbers that the Japanese government is announcing uh, and or we we feel like maybe they're trying to control the numbers by controlling the number of tests uh, because we're not, Japan hasn't been testing as much as other countries. And a lot of us are like, we suspect that that's because they want to do the Olympics next year. And they want to say, Oh, Japan's safe. We can have the Olympics here. And a lot of us are like, really? Like you're, even if Japan's safe, it's like, can like you have all these people coming from all these different countries and they're going to have to quarantine for two weeks and like some, maybe some of them will have to quarantine but will all of them have to quarantine at the same time you know are, how's that going to work uh it's not just the athletes you've got their staff you've got the media you've got you know, uh fans generally they haven't been testing as much from this from the start not nearly as much as korea or Taiwan. Taiwan has been doing great. Uh, and, uh, and so, so yeah, we, uh, we do suspect that a little bit. A lot of people can't afford to not go to work. A lot of people don't have the resources to, or time to be like always in touch with the news or finding out day-to-day facts of sickness, active cases to not active cases. I also, I'm totally unsure of what like testing is here. Um, how often I, I don't think that they're testing. They're definitely not testing as much as they are in other countries here, uh, part because of lack of resource, but also I think um, a skewing of numbers, you know, nobody wants to be on the top of the list of, of coronavirus, but unfortunately that's the reality um so um but it 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 feels it feels like it feels like people are taking it like in my opinion less serious and uh and mexico city in the whole country is the highest i mean we have the highest population density but we're the highest hit because of this um and so we're the epicenter for mexico um I just feel though here uh, we find out about things a lot slower, you know, um, it's, it's not as real time. Um, and then even when you find out what you find out, it's, it could be already have changed by the time you find that out. So um, that co- kind of goes back to like creating this extra safe bubble, better safe than sorry, because I don't actually know if hospitals have, are full to capacity or not here. Um, and I also don't know what the status is on testing. Um, and, you know, you hear different things like there's free testing available now in certain colonies of the city. Um, there's not free testing. You have to pay this much or you don't, you know, and so it's, it's hard to know. So I just kind of rather, you know, be on the side of extra cautious and try not to have to, know what those realities are um because i'm sure they're not good you know i think more than culturally i i feel like it's a generational thing 
I feel like here too, you see a lot of like older, like I've lived in this neighborhood 70 years. Um, I own this business on the corner that's been here forever. I'm not wearing a mask, you know, kind of like old school mentality. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I feel like we have the same kind of like, God's going to protect everyone. So I don't need to wear a mask. Um, and I'm not going to get sick cause I'm a God believer. And then you have, you know, other people that are like wearing masks and gloves, no matter their age. Um, or you have, uh, young people that still gather without masks, like on the street corners or in parks because they're young and they, they are carefree or they just, you know, you're young and fearless. Um, I feel like it's still, a, it's a mixed bag. I think that recently I, um, I feel like it, it did get a little bit more when like things started to really shut down and parks were closed. And, you know, when that kind of started to happen, I feel like people started to wear masks more. Um, I don't know if it is the way this way in the U S but here, then you have the people that wear masks, but they don't wear them correctly. Like people that wear masks, where their mouth's covered but their nose is exposed or their mouth their mask is like on their chin and they just like don't think about it so um but you know there's i, I think it's a mixed bag i think it's like a it's, it's a huge city so i think that de depending on even the parts of the city that you're in you feel it differently like um you can go to more touristic parts of the city and it's more deserted and the people you see are taking more precautions, but then you can go to like more barrio hometown, like my neighborhood I live in. Um, and it feels like day to day business as usual. The few things that are starting to happen again, which, you know, were really awesome about living in Mexico is there's a lot of music in the streets here. Um, all kinds of music and that was gone for for the last few months and now you're starting to hear it again um the only difference is like instead of like going up to people that are playing music you like i live i luckily have access to the street from a high level uh in my in my house so like i can stick my head out the window and hear like a mariachi band or hear brass like ensemble um, or hear people playing xylophone or just playing like the flutes and I can just toss money out the window <laughs> to two musicians um, and there I feel like a lot of musicians are actually just roaming the streets even neighborhoods now in hopes that people will just toss money out the window
That was Quarantine Sucks by the Unplugged Headphones, a band made up of kids ages 9 to 12 here in Reno, Nevada. The Unplugged Headphones were formed during the Girls Rock Reno virtual summer camp this July. Like so many projects and activities where people gather, something we've always taken for granted, Girls Rock Reno had to adapt its summer camp programming to a virtual format where kids interacted via video chat and collaborated on recording a song remotely. You're listening to KWNK 97.7 LPFM, Reno, Nevada. Today on Soft Power Radio, we are in conversation about life during coronavirus with four people living in different parts of the world. And Germany just hasn't been hit that bad, knock on wood. but. I think people here, um, they don't seem to, I don't know how it is in the States, um, but I just don't feel like a lot of people take it incredibly seriously. Um, I think just cause we haven't had it as bad as other places for a long time now, um, where we have to wear them in stores. It took a minute for them to, to enforce it. First, it was kind of just suggested um, and then finally it was mandatory, which was just nice for people who like me, who like, I wanted to wear a mask. Um, but people would look at you really weird and you kind of felt like maybe a, it was a little unsafe to wear one almost like, cause it was scary if you were going to get threatened or something. 
Um, so I was glad when they made it mandatory, um, and then it was mandatory on public transit, and now people really aren't following it. Eh, they're following it better than in the beginning. Um, I mean, it's exactly like having parents who don't get along and who don't enforce the rules the same, and their kids just end up like incredibly confused and conflicted and divided, maybe within themselves, but like the same thing. I mean, I've seen like fights break out in the grocery store with like a guy, you know, yelling at the security guard that he didn't shouldn't have to wear a mask and then, you know, rushing up to the security guard and like showing him YouTube videos of like, I don't know when he was showing him but like some videos of like, that the masks were unhealthy and unneeded or something like that. And, and it was just like really upsetting. Um, because it was just the guy's job to regulate the masks, you know, and then the guy said, like, you know, and German said, like, yeah, well, I, how do you think I feel? I have to wear this mask, like, eight hours a day. And the other guy was, like, um, you don't have to work here. You know, like, you don't have to. You can basically, like, you can quit. And I was just, like, oh, my God, really? We're getting into, like, this discussion now, you know? And it's, like, I don't know. But I do think it's just all this anger and like we don't have to wear a mask you don't have to do that it's just all coming out of the same feelings it's just people processing it processing their fear with anger yeah i feel like the people who are like that are really angry at you for like following it and you're just like you know i don't know if it's true i don't know if it's not true i have no idea but like why not err on the side of caution it's not that hard to wear a mask for 10 minutes when you're at the grocery store. It's just that, and you know, I don't think it's like doing us any harm. <laughs> Are these just people who just like can't handle someone telling them what to do, is that it? Is it like you, you're not gonna, I think that's it. It's like, just like so petty. I guess I do feel like um, a lot of people in my group of friends here and kind of like globally in a weird way or like not globally but like in all the when i skype with people around the world from different places that have from the us and stuff where i've lived a lot of the people that i'm friends with feel i feel like they're on the same page um with like being slightly cautious but not trying to be too over cautious or maybe some are a little more cautious than others but um but then i do have friends here who i feel like I, you know, really like a lot and are not quite as cautious as I would. I mean, even today I went to a little park drawing thing and um, a girl, I really like her a lot. And she just went to give me a hug and I was like, oh, no, I'm not uh, doing And then she just hugged and it, I just had to hug her. And then I gave her a really weird, terrible hug, which I like, love giving hugs. But I was like, that I just gave the crappiest hug because <laughs> it's like, Ugh. Um, but I was just like, why did you do that? <laughs> and then I, I don't know. There's a lot of chat now about uh, the culture sector here. That there's basically there's no there's no like government bailout of cultural institutions or or like artists or you know, musician, like any, any like cultural stuff, like is basically not getting anything. And like the figures in other European countries are crazy. Like France and like, like countries like that are spending tons of money to support uh, their culture. And here there's just basically nothing. Um, and, you know, theaters, like all of these places are just not getting, 
not getting support and you know they're not going to start opening in the you know even if even if places open they're not going to open in the in a way that will enable them to like you know have the same level of income music venue uh, did have to shut nearby there was like a diy music space that like rachel actually like put their sound system in and that like you know it was nearby so like we we, we would go there fairly fairly often it was like you know, a really cool place that was run by volunteers that had like an accountability agreement. Like it was like, it was, it was a pretty unique place. And um, I mean, they said that they're not shutting down. They're just, they just have to move out of these premises because they can't pay rent anymore because they've not been able to do any shows. And I think it's been like, the comms have been like really positive that they're just like, you know, they're not closing the project. They're just going to look for a new place. But then it's also pretty up in the air. Like, you know, where are you going to be able to find a place and when, like, like when is that going to be that you can open a DIY space um, for, for shows and for like, you know, local group meetings and stuff like this. I also actually had loads of emails from like businesses that like didn't make it and were like, like there's like one, one particular, like, and it's not even a local business. It's like a shoe brand and um, that specifically make like, shoes for 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 tall for tall women that like i know that like loads of people like can't find shoes in their size and that was like a specific brand that was doing this that my girlfriend often often shopped there and then they just sent an email not very long ago that like after 40 years we're gonna have to close because it was just not possible to keep up because even though they were on online business so there was never like a premises but just i guess that like you know they were saying that like their you know, investors made made a decision not to invest in that. And it, that's like, that's nothing to do with like, whether they have to close those premises or not. It's just like the economic landscape is, is changing. We did a cool thing um, that I'm sure didn't, you know, revolutionize anything, but um, we set up a platform where people could like prepay for stuff for businesses. So small business could sign up to this. It's like a crowdfunder, but like for the future so that we were trying to get loads small businesses to sign up and say you know offer your offer these services online so people can buy like five coffees that they can claim at a later date or just you know like buy like whatever whatever it is that like services in the future or goods in the future you can like set your own rules you can say that like you know this is to be claimed at the maximum of one a month until like december 2021 or whatever like it's then up to the business to set up whatever the rules they want but then to essentially crowdfund um, support and loads of businesses did that um, locally. And then, you know, also you could dominate businesses. So like I, you know, I spent like some time being like, okay, this, you know, this restaurant that is like around the corner from me or like this hairdresser is that I always go to or, or like I'm signed up to this, like there's a brand that makes tights for plus size women. So like loads of tights are too small. So they like fall you know they're uncomfortable um so there's this like startup making making comfortable tights for like pluses and they were a bit like well basically if we don't you know if we don't get loads of pre-orders right now we're gonna have to close but then like turns out loads of people were able to do loads of pre-orders not you know not really minding that like they won't really receive the product until november december whenever and then there was a message saying, you know, we were able to do as many as, as we needed to keep going. And that's great.
That was An Event by local Reno band Fine Motor. You are listening to KWNK 97.7 LPFM Reno, Nevada. Today, we are discussing the coronavirus pandemic. It's not often that fears, anxieties, and hopes are felt so strongly in common by people everywhere. Our conversations today with people living around the world try to capture some of those common thoughts and feelings. Because we, we, we've stopped having events. We've stopped gathering. Uh, even in my small area of 40 people uh, where in which the majority don't drive and like don't leave this area. Uh, we've stopped having gathering events uh, here. So um, like 
yeah, I think it's, I think they've gotten very lonely uh, until now. Like their, their children or grandchildren would you know, come on the weekends and you know, hang out here at grandma and grandpa's house or something like that. And then when we'd have, you know, we have like maybe five or six events throughout the year in our area where you know, we all kind of come together and maybe we, we cut the grass and clean the streets in the morning. And then once we're done doing that, uh, we gather and have, have lunch and drink beer and stuff. And those weekend visits from the grandchildren, those uh, grass cutting and beer drinking events, those have all gone. And, um, and like, you know, for us younger people, you know, we, we're busy we still. And you know, I, drive, I still go to the local government office uh, I, I see a lot of different people, uh, and also I have, I have a computer. I uh, I Skype with people. I talk on Zoom, uh, but that the other that kind of older population here, they don't have that, and I think that that's been kind of stressful for them. Um, and I do want to go back to America to to see everybody. Um, is am I going to have to spend you know, two weeks here or two weeks there, and then two weeks here again? You know, isolating and uh, that kind of a thing, uh, and, and you're not. Of course, you know, it would be worth it to, to see them, uh, but uh, but yeah, like, am I going to be able to do that? You know, that's will will I have a job that's that flexible? Will I have work that's flexible? Uh, like my sister, when she goes home, she, uh, you know, she doesn't want to infect her, her husband, so. She she goes she gets out of her car and like goes to the garage and uh, I think changes all of her clothes from that she was wearing at the hospital and then uh, and then I think maybe I don't know if she shout runs into the shower or and then goes straight back out I, I can't remember how it is but like she does she has this whole kind of complicated routine of uh, of just kind of trying to stay safe and yeah and she doesn't she hasn't given me too many I think she honestly I think she had a really bad day a few weeks ago and uh she didn't she didn't tell me what happened so uh I think it's just I think she you know she said that she needed a a stiff drink uh that night and then I think you know like later that week too it sounded like things were tough I don't even have like a life that I've created yet. Like it, I didn't even get to create something here. Like I, I just like landed and found a place to live and figured out where the new, the closest grocery stores were and how to ride the subway and how to ride my bike and in the streets and learn maps and um, where there's good food to eat late night and basic things, you know, and then all of a sudden everything just shut down. And so even the new friends that I met, I haven't seen for almost four months now. So it's like, it's a weird reality that like, you know, people are missing this like life they had where I like, I like have no uh, reference still, you know, like after this is over, I'm going to be like, Oh, I've lived in Mexico city for almost a year now, but I still feel like I literally just got off the plane because most of my reality is just at my house, you know, with my dog and my partner. Um, I try to keep routine. Um, so I kind of 
have to hold myself accountable to things. Um, uh, and having, I, my dog is like definitely one of those pandemic dog situations. Like I'm home and I can't go anywhere. Really good time to get a dog. And I really, you know, I try to wake up at the same time every day. And I try to like keep a routine. Like I eat breakfast and then after breakfast, you know, like I take my dog out and, um, you know, and I, I take my dog out three times a day at the same time. And, um, you know, I work on projects for myself. I study Spanish. Um, and the space I live has a really cool multi-purpose space. So, you know, I'll go in there and just sit in the quiet uh, or I'll exercise, um, change it up depending on the day. Um, I try to stay away from watching too much news um, because I was getting, especially because I'm far away from my friends and family. It's really hard. And um, again, people's perceptions or acceptance or lack thereof of the pandemic is different. So, you know, you ask one friend something and they tell you everything's cool and you ask somebody else in a different part of the U.S. and they are freaking out. Um, but again, it's also based on like how you live and where you live. You know, if my friends on a farm aren't worrying because they're just, they're not around people often. My friends in San Francisco are a little more stressed, you know. That's the other thing is sometimes I feel really sad for people that are, you know, living that fun time of life where you're supposed to live like, 15 deep in a four bedroom house and divide the basement with bed sheets and, you know, go to basement shows and be sweaty on the weekend and barbecues and whatever, like slip and slides at the park where someone indefinitely is going to break their arm. Once our love was as warm as a toaster oven That's some pretty hot lovin' Now it's as cold as a frozen cucumber And I remember those salad days Once our love was as new as a mutated virus Or a budding iris Now it's as old as a Vietnam or veteran Whose story's untold Oh, the stories we used to tell in those salad days Once our love was as real as love can be Now it's as fake as a rerun sitcom on TV And I am longing for those salad days Cause darling, I am so sick of drinking coffee and eating french fries Just trying to survive this dilapidated union Oh, let us retreat to those salad days That was Salad Days by the Dear John Letters. You're listening to KWNK 97.7 LPFM, Reno, Nevada. Today on Soft Power Radio, we are in conversation about life during coronavirus with four people living in different parts of the world. Um, I don't know why, but uh, they, I, I, don't know, I shouldn't say, I don't know, that's a weird way to preface this, but like there was a big um, stimulus package for just, especially for freelancers. Um, and you got, uh, you could, 
just apply. The application was, there was a long waiting list, which was stressful because uh, you kind of had to be in this like waiting line online for like 30 or like a day kind of the thing. You were like in this waiting line, it would like, it was like a whole day and then it would be like, you have 20,000 people in front of you and then like, you know, you, and then it like stops and then you keep the window open. Then the next day you like open it again, like open up your computer and it like starts going again at a certain time. Um, but then we filled out the application and as long as you, you had to be, I think, registered as a freelancer with a freelance tax number um, for maybe a year or something in order to apply for it. But then we each got five grand um, from the government for the stimulus, which I thought was just crazy. Um, but um, it's unclear well, they sent out an email about like what you're allowed to spend it on and stuff like that, but it's unclear how they're going to enforce that and if how much taxes, like what's actually going to happen. Uh, because in the beginning, that was something that was like talking about rules changing and stuff like that and different people saying different things that at first it was kind of like came out and it was like, oh, this money, you just have it. And then it kind of came out like, no, it's going to be taxable. Like, no, you can only spend it on like things for your job and you can't spend it on rent. So like, it is like, I wonder if it'll change again and be like, no, you know, um, as things progress and seeing how people's situations are. So I'm just kind of being careful with the money. Um, I don't always feel like taken care of as a freelancer here, but maybe there's a new initiative happening. Um, since the city is growing more and especially there are a lot of people working freelance here like a lot so maybe yeah. they kind of realized that maybe that's why i know that a lot of people have not had that experience you know and a lot of people have had to work and go through a lot of trauma so hearing those experiences especially on a lot of the um podcasts that i listen to is pretty you know like i don't i don't know i feel pretty I feel kind of bad, you know, being able to be like, oh, I learned how to cook. It's like, oh, God, fuck you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's hard to, it's hard to grapple with the fact that so many people kind of have this, like, time off and are able to be unemployed for the first time. And then so many people are just, like, working in a hospital and, like, having, like, the most intense time, like, basically going through war, you know? But that's how it is. I, I can't. Like, I mean, I'm not obviously not going to like deny happiness for that reason, but it's still there, of course, between global warming and a pandemic and it feeling like everyone just hates each other. Um, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, how long are we going to last over here? Um, so yeah, the, I feel like that like last day on earth sentiment is like, definitely a question that runs across my brain a lot more often now than it has in the past. There's some hopeful stuff happening. Um, I mean, I uh, definitely can't predict anything. Um, but, I mean, I feel like I listened to a nice TED Talk today with one of Jad Abumrad from uh, uh, Radio Lab. And just how journalism has, has to change and it can't be this, like, fighting thing anymore and I was like man like listening to him I was like if he like if every journalist listened to that 
it would change the entire world because it would just change the way politics is reported. You know, if like if those little seeds of knowledge could happen um, and the world could somehow become less divided, but then it feels like it's becoming more divided. But I have this weird hope that it, that people will <laughs> come together into this like utopic environment. <laughs> Some of the some of the reflections that I've had on this were like, actually, it's not so bad that like, say, you know, air traffic over Europe is like basically like stopped. And this is the kind of stuff that like, you know, like environmental organizations have been campaigning for for like years to be like, well, we need to reduce flying. And everybody was like, no way. Like, we can't ever go back to it. You know, there, it's not possible. And suddenly it's like, it is possible you can just stop flying from like from today to tomorrow loads of these flights can be canceled and people are not going to fly and that's okay and somehow we're like somehow it's still going to happen so you know like i read a bunch of stuff around like actually like the education sector that like higher education like might actually become like more accessible because loads of institutions will just move to online lectures and will inevitably have to like lower their prices so actually it will mean that like loads more people who otherwise wouldn't be able to go to university, wouldn't be able to like, you know, live on campus or pay extortionate fees because the fees are going to be lower and you don't have to have the maintenance because you can just stay at home that, and, and because, you know, inevitably it'll be more flexible. So you can probably like work alongside studying a lot easier than you would otherwise that like shit like that is going to be like, it's actually like going to be a big opportunity to make things better. But then whether, but then again, like these like, uh, like possibilities for good change, maybe even like regardless of the intention that like, if we fly less, like great, <laughs> like that's gonna be awesome. Or yeah, like if university education becomes more accessible, that's amazing. One of the things that is the most like, you know, because there is a national health service, there's, there's a lot of um, anxiety around like, are they gonna start charging say like non-British people. So like under new immigration rules under Brexit, is it going to be that like anyone who isn't British then has to pay for healthcare? And then actually also then is the next step just that you, you will just have to start paying for healthcare because, because the healthcare, you know, like, like because already so many of these provide like have been like, there's already been so many attempts to privatize stuff and, and is it just going to go that way? Like, it's been really weird, like here, I don't know actually if you know this, that like for like maybe like 10 weeks, there was something called Clap for Carers, that like every Thursday night, every Thursday at 8 p.m., people would like go out on their balconies or in their gardens or outside their houses and just clap for the NHS or like, you know, like to, to be like, here's our gratitude to like the healthcare um, employees and healthcare system that like are helping us um you know helping people who are who are sick and you know caring for like caring for the nation or whatever and it was like it was like a organic initiative that like somebody just like somebody organized and then it just like took off and like every week and at first one i remember like coming out of on my balcony and just being like i wonder if anyone's gonna clap and then like actually loads of people were and it was the same like loads of different you know like it was like every area had 
that like it was happening everywhere it was like a real big like national thing um but then but then there was also a lot of criticism of that that like while it was construed as this like you know kind of like a community support for like people who have to like you know who are risking their lives to like help other people in this situation that actually then you know a lot of people who are clapping probably voted for this government who isn't funding healthcare properly or that like people think that it's like you know it's like the kind of online petition syndrome that it's like if i go out and clap once a week my like kind of like social engagement is done i've done my bit and like don't need to do anything else and i don't need to like actually you know think about how i contribute because i I've, i've already done this thing and there were like doctors publishing like anonymous op-eds in in newspapers being like i'm a doctor and i hate this and it doesn't help me at all (laughs) i'm just pissed off that like i don't get decent pay and people think that i could like i can't pay my rent in claps like that's not (laughs) that's not a currency i guess like some of these big questions are also around like what is going to happen there because again if people get into their minds that like well what i can do for the nhs is go outside and clap but, but support a government that is going to like defund healthcare completely. And then, yeah, like privatize it and sell it off. You know, maybe there's now going to be like, let's clap for our teachers who are like, we're going to have to cut their pay, but they're doing a great job. So guys, let's, you know, every Friday at five, let's go and, and clap for them. Like, what is, what, like, is that going to go in that way that like, you know, we have to express our gratitude, but not really actually like materially change any of the, or, or that actually materially you have to change it for the worse, but then what you'll have is our gratitude. <laughs> like when, um, say like throughout the last month, there were loads of uh, Black Lives Matter pro- protests here. And then instantly there were loads of like, oh, you know, this is so irresponsible. It is gonna, this is gonna cause a further spread. You know, people should stay at home. This is totally wrong. But then whenever it's like a sunny day and it's like actually really warm and thousands of people drive to the beach, then suddenly like that's fine and that's okay and that's just like people being like oh but these people are so frustrated with being locked down at at home like you know like and that's not a problem so so there's also like loads of that kind of stuff where where um you know the kind of the public discourse is is very uh you know it's clearly biased (laughs) towards like again like you know it's completely normal and understandable that people might want to like drive to the beach but it's not normal and understandable that people want to protest like centuries of institutional racism and people being killed by the police. It's, it's also, I think it's quite hard to like keep track of like when you're saying like, you know, reflecting back on how you felt. Cause I think like if we had this conversation like a month ago or two months ago, it would have been like different stuff and it's hard to keep track. And sometimes like, what? it's July. Like when did this happen? And it's quite hard to, um, to keep track of time and then to also remember because things are so samey it's hard to remember like where you were particularly like emotionally where you were in at these at these previous times like i heard a song the other day that like i was listening to a lot like just before lockdown and i was suddenly like, like wow this reminds me of like you know like a really different time <laughs> and it was like in 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 february Today, we were in conversation with Eric, Tony, Marta, and Esther. These conversations all took place in mid-July 2020. It's very possible that by the time you hear this program, either much or nothing will have changed. 
It's likely that a lot of the thoughts, observations, and feelings you heard expressed sounded very familiar, sounded like your own, even though you may live thousands of miles away from the person who expressed them. Hold on to that affinity. And thanks for listening. Till next time, this was Soft Power Radio. You don't seem happy about it. Oh, it's just that... Oh, I like it here. I don't want to leave. I just want to ask you some questions about the spaceship. The count is picked up at zero minus ten seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six, five.